Expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. It's another exciting edition, as a matter of fact, episode 134 of the Dan and Nerdy podcast, where I can't help but wonder if Joe Casada is going to dress up as a coffee cup this Halloween. Or, who knows, maybe one of the many iterations of Deadpool, because now they got Squirrel Pool, or whatever the hell they're calling it. Yeah, what is that about? Uh, dude, I don't know. I really don't. And I'm not just saying because I'm a Deadpool fan. I'm saying it's because I'm a fan of, you know, of course, Marvel and stuff like that. But not lately. It's just... I don't know, man. I think that I said this on Twitter as well. I said that Marvel is now the Apple of comics, where they think that because they can just throw a phone out there, or in this case, a a comic of whomever out there, they think, oh, people are going to buy it because we're Marvel, because we have the brand. Well, if you look at the sales figures, not so many people are buying Marvel books nowadays. Nope. And uh, I'm going to... Remember that scene in Karate Kid 2 where they're in Okinawa and Mr. Miyagi, you know, finds out how much of a douche that his friend Sato has been. And right. at one point he just turns around and he looks at him and he goes, what has happened to you? Right. That's what I want to do to Marvel. Marvel, what has happened to you? What are you doing? Somebody just needs to like sit, uh, you know, Joe Kassad down and everybody at Marvel down all the top heads over there and just have an intervention with them. Like, guys, you know... Get back to your basics. We don't need 15 Deadpool comics. We don't need, you know, Venom's back. Yeah, but he's probably going to suck now because you try doing it. With, when you can't pull off a good Carnage book, what makes you think that you can pull off a good Venom book, you know? I don't know, man. But, you know, it's you want to have 15 Deadpool books because he's popular, fine. But now you have 15 iterations of Deadpool, most of right. which don't even make any sense. And then you try and, like, I don't know, re-kill Gwen Stacy a different way or something. I, I don't – I just – I don't know what they're doing, man. I mean, I know that you want to try some different stuff, but it's like not only have you gone off the rails, the train has fallen off the cliff into a ravine, plunged through the ravine, and through to the center of the earth somehow. I don't know what you guys are doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. I mean, it's just gotten to the point now where, you know what Marvel happened? You know, it's fallen through the earth, and it's back out into space, and it's like Superman... You know, in Batman vs. Superman, where when he's out in space and he's just floating there, like that's what Marvel yeah. is. It's just a body floating in space of like, you know, what used to be such a, a house of strength and everything else. And it's just, again, a lot of these now, like, and they announced a new, oh, we got a new Iceman comic coming out. Yeah. Nobody's going to give a shit because no. it's just, and, and not only that, but again, what we saw about weeks ago with the whole resurrection thing, oh, great. Now you just maybe not want to read Death of X and Inhumans vs. X-Men even more because now we know Iceman's coming back. So the X-Men, guess what? You're going back on what you said at SDCC where only one faction is going to make it out alive. Bullshit! Or not because it looks like Iceman makes it. But, man, and you know what we, do, what we probably don't know is that Doctor Strange Sorcerer Supreme is really about how Doctor Strange is getting out of the magic game and he's opening up his own pizza shop in downtown New York right. called the Sorcerer Supreme. And Doctor Strange makes pizza now. What? Man, just, just go back to your roots, man. Just do what you do. Let's let's hit the reset button here. Right, and that's just the thing, man, is that Marvel needs to look at what DC did and why Rebirth is such a success. And again... 
you know, they say imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. But in this case, you really, I think Marvel needs to really imitate what DC's doing. At least look at what they're doing with their characters, bring them back to their roots. And honestly, I think you need to get shake up the writing staff entirely. I mean, look at this. Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo did amazing things with Batman. DC still said, you know what? We're bringing in Tom King. We're bringing in, you know, a, a new crew for Batman. Just, you know, all these other comics. So it doesn't mean that it's a bad thing. Right. Like, it's just put him on a different book. Like, take Dan Slott off of Spider-Man. Put him on something different if you want or whatever, you know? It just there just comes a time, I think, where... And this isn't just – this isn't anything that's Dan Slott. This is just I think when you have somebody who's written a character for so long, I think there is a time where – not that they run out of ideas, but it's just – I don't know if they're having much fun with it or if they're – it's just the thing ideas maybe become stale a little bit or it's right. just – just, there's just a sense of a need to take it to a different direction or just restart everything and go back to its roots. And again, there's so many – we've talked on the show so many – writers that are doing a lot of indie work and stuff i think it's time to get some marvel some some big two stuff you know yeah not only that but hey people forget how long slot's been on spider-man because they reset those things to number one every 30 seconds so you forget how long slot's been doing spider-man and you know some people might say that's a good thing and like you said some people might say that's a bad thing but i don't think there's Anything wrong with getting a fresh perspective. By the way, five minutes in, I'm James with him alongside. The Merc with one arm, Nick Patagla. Wow, this intro, this intro really went on a friggin' tangent. Well, you know, we, we for good reason, because when you see Squirrel Pool, you can't just keep your mouth shut on something like that. No, no, you really can't. But coming up next, it's what we're reading. Stay tuned. More Down Nerdy is coming up next. I'm Haley Mancini. And I'm Jake Goldman. And we are writers for the Powerpuff Girls. And you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Yeah. Well, it's that time, boys and girls. We pull out our long boxes and we discuss what we're reading this week in James. I'll go first this week. Now, of course, I'm a fan since it is October. I'm a fan of things Halloween, a fan of witches and warlocks and, and just gremlins and everything in between. So there's a new limited five-issue series from Dark Horse called Spell on Wheels. And what it is is it centers around three witches who have different powers. You have Jolene, who has telepathic powers. You have Claire, who's a witch who's really good with psychic intuition and tarot reading. And then you have another witch by the name of Andy, who is master of spells and potions and charms. So right off the bat, you have three unique witches nice. that have you know different abilities and bring something different to the series. But of course, it's called Spell on Wheels. The writer is Kate Leth, and the artist is by Megan Levins. And just from the off the bat, there's the, re, the story for this book is somebody breaks into these witches' house and steals some very important artifacts from their house, and that causes them to go on a very Thelma and Louise style cross country road trip to retrieve these items. And it's very very interesting along the way because each girl and each woman I should say because they're actually in their twenties in this book presents a different characteristic like for example jolene is more of a badass like she's very like you know in your face and stuff like that you know uh uh claire who is the you know tarot reader she's kind of the the blossom and everything you know if you want to go back to the powerpuff girls scenario from last week and then you know you have andy who's this very new kind of witch kind of new to this kind of a thing and very innocent as well 
But overall, this book is very fun. All these girls have charisma. The art is very well done in it. The It's very uh, nicely detailed, and it has a very uh, cool sense to it in terms of the art style done. But, I mean, overall, when you find out who stole the, the stuff from their house, it brings in another awesome dynamic. And when I was reading this, it had, again, a very Thelma Louise meets Charmed feel. Okay, I was going to ask you about Charmed. All right. Yeah, no, I mean, you're, you're thinking about it, Charmed had three witches. This yep. has three witches as well, so there's, you know, tying it back in there. But when you're reading this, there are times where I was chuckling, and there's also some things about, you know, for example... An action that happens in this is kind of described, well, it's not kind of, it is described through tarot cards, in a sense. And so they explain, not in depth, but enough to where you understand why these cards are significant. Like, oh, why you know, why are things not good when the tower card is shown and, and it's you know mm-hmm. pulled and everything else and, and stuff like that. So in itself, right there, is a mystery as well, because you're like... What's the end game? You know, all this stuff is gone now, and now it's being sold throughout the U.S., which causes them, you know, in the world pretty much, that causes them to go on this road trip. So why is it that these things were taken? You know, what's the end game? You don't know what the end game really is just yet, but this whole road trip thing is, is really, really fun. Nice. I mean, it's good that they get to, you know, kind of, you're not stuck in one scene, you know, especially with something like that, especially when you're dealing with witches and supernatural and stuff like that. You tend to be stuck in one place. It can become a little mundane, but the fact that they're going to encounter different things as they go along, I think, will probably add something to this book, wouldn't you say? Well, yeah. Plus, for example, this book isn't afraid to use some humor to kind of poke fun at some old school, you know, use of witchcraft. For example, like they're trying to figure out where their stuff is, and so you know, you have the whole map out and candles, and then there's like a, you hang a crystal or whatever, it's supposed to guide you, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden. That's not working for a certain reason. And then they get a text notification that, hey, your stuff is on this thing. <laughs> so bringing it into the modern real world. Right. Then. Right. And that's what I like is that they don't go, you know, too heavy into the old school stuff. They find a beautiful nice. way. Kate Leth finds a beautiful way to intertwine both old school witchcraft with new school storytelling. What do you think is the age range for this? Is some, this like an all ages type thing, or do you think that you know it's something that maybe maybe young adults and adults more, can enjoy? If you're a teenager, like I would say thirteen to honestly, I think if you're in your twenties, I think this is really goes from thirteen on. There's not like a definite age range. Like if you're you know twenty eight, you're not going to get this book, but if you're twenty seven, it's right for you. You know, yeah, yeah. This is for I think people who are actually the more I think about it, if you're like fifteen, sixteen. You know, like when I was growing up and Charm came out, I was around that age. So if you're like from that to somebody who is our age, who grew, who grew up with Charmed and Buffy and stuff like that, this is the book I think I you're going to really enjoy. And it's a series you're going to enjoy. Again, it's five issues. For me, this is a definite, definite pull. Well, that's good news because I was planning on reading that myself. So now I'm looking forward to it even more. <laughs> <laughs> so what'd you do this week, man? I decided to boldly go where a lot of people have gone before because there's a lot of Star Trek fans. So I decided to go with IDW's new series, Star Trek Boldly Go, which, of course, Mike Johnson, who's doing, been doing Star Trek stuff for IDW, and Tony Shastine does the art. i got to give a shout-out, too, to the cover, cover artist, though, George Keltsoudis, because the cover is really, really cool and striking. Now... This, of course, follows the younger version of the Star Trek uh, Star Trek world that's in the movies right now. As a matter of fact, this book says it takes place months after the events of Star Trek Beyond. Now, 
It doesn't say how many months or anything like that, but basically, you don't have to have seen the movie. As long as you've seen the trailers, you kind of get the gist of why everything's happening the way it is. I, I could say that. I don't think this will spoil the movie for you either, uh, so I wouldn't worry about that if you haven't seen the movie yet. But basically, it's a everybody's gone their separate ways kind of thing. Everybody's off doing certain things. Like Kirk, is is he has a new ship now, and Spock is somewhere else, and a bunch of the other characters are somewhere else. Now, a couple of them are together in groups. It's not like every single person is on their own. So, you know, there's like a small group here, and then there's one person off here doing this, and a couple off here doing this. So some of them are still together. But as a core unit, they're not together anymore. And, and the book spends a pretty good amount of time, uh, especially in the beginning, saying, here's where this person is, and here's why they're there, and here's this person is, and that's why they're there kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, so they do. what you're saying is they do a really good job of setting up why certain characters are in their certain settings, which is very important because you're giving that important backstory. Exactly, and it totally makes sense why they are where they are. Like in Kirk's situation, when he's taking over a new ship, it's very, very different vibe for him. So it's something that he has to get used to. And, and Bones, same thing. He puts himself in a situation where it's something that he has to get used to. And with Spock, once you see where Spock is, you're like, oh, okay. But then there's another added layer to that as well. So now there is one character that ends up in trouble in this book. And I won't tell you which one it is because I don't want to spoil it in the very beginning, before you even read the book. But I will say that there is conflict in this book, and it causes something to happen. And it's almost like, okay, what's going to bring this group together again? Because you know that you want to see them together again, but what's going to happen? And there's a conflict in this book that does that. What, did Kirk steal one of Chekhov's green girls from a different planet or something? I think that Kirk can do pretty much whatever he wants when it comes to the ladies. Yeah, that, so, yeah that's you know, pretty true. You should leave a couple for the other guys, though. I mean, come on, right? You don't yeah. need all the girls, Kirk. But, no, something happens in this book that causes them to kind of, I don't want to say rally together, because I think it's too soon to say that, but it's definitely one of those, we need to be on this because one of our friends is involved kind of things. So so pretty much this book is pretty much a, a sense of unifying. That's a sign of kind of sense of like it's fractured, like in, in terms of storytelling, in terms of like not that it's bad, but like because, you know, as you said, people aren't on the same page. There's conflict there. So in a sense, this book starts off with a fractured Starfleet, pretty much. Well, there, there's a little bit of that. Like, everybody had to go where they needed to go after what happened in the in Star Trek Beyond. Everybody had to go to a certain spot because, hey, we all need a reset. We all need to do something different after everything that went down there. And actually, on the ship that Kirk is in, there is a built-in conflict on that ship, which I also won't spoil for you, that kind of causes even his friends to be like, hey, are we sure about this kind of thing that are on the ship with him? But the the, the main focus, the main point of conflict and what happens, especially towards the end of the book, to kind of bring everybody kind of focused on the team again, is very, very interesting. The art's pretty much what, you, what you'd expect for the uh, main Star Trek run. I mean, it's very consistent, so I will give them that. There's a ton of variant covers, too. If you like the movie poster covers and stuff like that for your comics, they've got that for this as well, so there's a ton of variant covers. Um, Johnson does a great job, as always, just capturing these characters, and there's really not a whole lot of drop-off there from what you're seeing on the screen to what you're seeing on the page, which I think is very, very important, especially, like, the way he writes Chekhov. He wants you to read it like Chekhov would say it, so he writes it that way, which I always like. Focus on that for a second. 
if you're a writer out there, you know, someone who's aspiring or whatever, that shows great detail to the characters because you're trying to get their speaking patterns down and you're trying to make this like as if, you know, a motion comic, if you will, or what say you, you know, that type of detail, just how you space the words. Also, there's a lot of credit to the letterer as well. Oh, totally. And you, the thing is that, that a lot of people don't might not get is you can write tone. Like when you're writing Spock, you can tell by the way Johnson writes Spock, he wants you to be in that tone when you're reading it in your head. Because we all do that when we're reading. We all read it in our head. But we don't always read it as the character. But the good writers will make you read it as the character that you're seeing on the page. And for that, and the art's great. This what they're doing with the story. Very intriguing. It makes you want to go to the next issue. So I'm going to boldly go and put this in my pull, pull box, man. This is a pull for me. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of What We're Reading. We come next, Legends of Tomorrow. Yes, another CW show had its premiere last week. And we're going to talk about it. Come up next in this week in Geektainment. This writer, Christopher Sabella... You're listening to the Down Nerdy Podcast. Well, guess what? We're jumping aboard the Wave Rider once again because it's time to talk in This Week in Geektainment about the last CW show to have its premiere, Nick, and that is DC's Legends of Tomorrow headed towards Season 2. Yeah, man, and I think that when you look at what happened at the end of Season 1 with Vandal Savage, of course, uh, Hawkman, Hawkgirl leaving, and you have Our Man coming in, so you get the JSA in there. You know, it gets you pumped for Season 2, and... I got to tell you, you want to talk about, you know, starting off, I think, fast. And I think when you talk about that, I think they, they did this really well in terms of just showing the different areas they went to. Because, of course, we find, you know, Mick Rory is, is, you know, on the ship and he's in stasis. But why is he in stasis? And he goes through the whole setup of how he got to where he is and where yep. all the other legends are. I mean, I got to say, man, when they were in the old school, what was it, the French Revolution or just some time like the old period of three musketeers pretty much mm-hmm. like that that was pretty fun that was fun like this is a show that you can sell in the cw thing in terms of writing it's just it has fun with it and i love again it's spoiler filled by the way in this in this review because it is a review of the first episode that's been out so you've probably seen it by now but just wanted to warn you on that but here's the deal man like you said this team that they put together there's a chemistry there, you know, and that's what makes it fun. And that's what makes it's one of the reasons it kind of makes you want to watch. But, you know, as you said, and you were talking about everything that was going on in the, in the French period there and how they, you know, had to battle the modern weaponry. And, hey, how did that end up in there? Now, what we do find out as we go a little bit is that the team is going to end up being fractured at some point. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's another interesting element, too, is that the team's going to be fractured. And part of that, I think, is going to deal with. Sarah Lance, because remember, Laurel's dead. She's still angry at Damien Dark for, for killing her sister, so she wants revenge. I think right there you kind of saw a little bit of a fracture between her and Ray Palmer and just where her mindset is mm-hmm. and how that's going to possibly carry over to the other team members. I do want to say this real quick about Damien Dark. He is by far the most uninteresting villain, I think, in a while, at least. I mean... That's one of the reasons why I didn't think Arrow had such a strong season last season. So I, I will definitely agree with that, especially since in this in Legends of Tomorrow, we don't really see him 
with his powers at all. Not that you need powers to be a menacing villain, because we've seen many, many times that you do not. But you're right, there's just something about Damien Dark, and yeah, sure, he can fight a a little, and yeah, sure, he's evil, and yeah, sure, he knows what he's doing, but I just don't get the sense of real threat or danger from him at all. And, And I realize that he's just a part of a bigger cog here, Legends of Tomorrow, but that should tell you why they would need a bigger cog, because you can't have Damien Dark as the main villain. No, and that's brought because they bring in Reverse Flash. Of course, there was that story uh, about a month or so ago that the Legion of Doom is coming into Legends of Tomorrow. So, again, you bring in much bigger villains to surround Damien Dark with and stuff, and I think that's going to be very beneficial to the show. But, again, you look at this, and also there's another show I want to point out, too. And, and we've talked about this off air, but Timeless on NBC. Yeah. Also another time travel show also deals with people who were, you know, in real life, people in real life time and stuff like that. And the eras they visit, uh, for example, like this week they did the Rat Pack and stuff like that and, and, and uh, JFK. But in here you have Albert Einstein and just the way they do time travel, you kind of look at the two shows and you're like, Timeless, I think, does it a little bit better mm-hmm. from a time travel aspect. Of course, the action is different, so you can't really compare it. I mean, one's superpowers with superhumans, the other one's people, you know, with guns and just regular people, you know, who are just historians and stuff like that. So you can't really compare them. But I think that this, I think a show like Timeless, is gonna, it puts pressure, we already said, you know, how shows could put pressure on Arrow and stuff like that this season. This could put pressure on Legends of Tomorrow in terms of the time travel aspect. I think that Timeless handles time travel better, and I think that they pay more attention to the details of what's actually happening in the timeline and what can happen if this goes wrong. Now, granted, the two motives are different, so you're right. It's really hard to compare the two shows because they're not a direct comparison, but at the same time, it's how you handle time travel in these things, and the whole situation with Albert Einstein, kind of taking him out of the equation, where basically... I see what you just did there, you Oh, yeah, and it's, it's just subliminal at this point. Um, <laughs> but in a manner of speaking, where they purposely change the timeline, and they're like, oh, well, this is probably better, and you're going, what? Wait a second, you just... You could have changed everything unintentionally, but they're like, oh, this is cool because this is better now because now this person's going to get credit too. Uh, that's great, but you don't know what that's going to do. And just the way that and it affects the timeline is a little, it's like they don't, it's not as important as it is on Timeless. And I think that, you know, exit Rip Hunter, by the way, and especially with him really not being in the equation anymore, how is that not, how is that going to affect that happening even more so? You mentioned something that's very interesting because we all know the Time Masters are now gone. They are no more. So pretty much the Legends are the only people that are keeping time in check. So here's what you just brought up an interesting point. I want to bring up another CW show, The Flash. We all know what happened with Flashpoint and everything else, how Barry's changed and everything. But will what Legends do affect shows like Arrow and Flash and, and Supergirl and stuff like that because technically they're going through time and they're changing things right. and, and who knows like maybe Albert Einstein is supposed to meet such and such's mother and whomever because he didn't have a conversation with her or whatever you know Joe West doesn't get born or something you know I mean who knows <laughs> you would think at some point that it could right if Flashpoint does why wouldn't this and I mean I know that they said Flashpoint wouldn't affect Legends because of the time travel aspect well, turn it back on its ear. Could Legends affect the other shows? I can't see 
Why you wouldn't, especially since, hey, guess who one of the Legion of Doom members is? If I'm not mistaken, isn't it Captain Cold? Yeah. Who's supposed to be dead, by the way? Yeah. Right? So, obviously something's been affected there. I don't know if it's because of Flash. They haven't actually explained it yet because they're not there yet. But I don't know if it's because of Flashpoint or something that's going to be in the the time travel of Legends of Tomorrow. But in some way, something's going to get a little messed up there. But you mentioned, we mentioned Legion of Doom, we mentioned Captain Cole. However, there's somebody at the end who, when we see him, we're like, oh, this is going to get very interesting. Yeah, and it's the entire JSA, for one. They just kind of plop down there and say, hey, we want to talk to you guys. It's almost like they're the time police now. Oh, I wasn't mentioning JSA. I'm talking about Reverse Flash. Oh, yes, Reverse Flash, because guess what? There's your formation, well, at least the beginnings of the formation of the Legend of Legion of Doom anyway, because they already apparently know each other and they're on a first name basis, him and Damien Dark. So, I mean, the way that he kind of, I would say bails out Damien Dark, wouldn't you? Yeah, Doesn't he, does. he bail him out? I mean, yeah. even though the, there wasn't a really huge threat there, but you got to wonder what is their motive together yeah. as a unit? And are they, are they a unit already? Are they, is it Malcolm Merlin and Captain Cold? They're all together. Or do these two sit down and go, hey, let's go get these guys and let's really mess some stuff up? And that's the thing, too, as well. And it's something that, you know, we talk about off air as well that kind of, again, it could be seen as a nitpick, but we got to talk about it. So there's a scene, speaking of Damien Dark, you know, he's on a submarine and he's they're firing torpedoes at the Wave Rider. So they shoot this big, like, nuclear warhead or whatever at the Wave Rider, and you're telling me that there's no hull damage or any damage well, whatsoever to the ship? They were trying to shoot it at New York to nuke New York, and right. then Rip Hunter's like, let's put the Wave Rider in the way, and, and they say, well, will it absorb the blast? And he's like, yeah, it's shooting. I'm like, how? Yeah. You know, at least give me 30 seconds and explain to me that there's like some shields or something right. that you're putting up that, you know, it, it will withstand, it'll incapacitate the ship, but it won't completely damage the hull or anything. Because when he puts uh, Mick in stasis, you're like, hold on a second, uh, he's going to drown in the ship? Yeah. Is that really what's going to happen? Yeah. Not to mention when Oliver and, and uh, Captain Explorer there find the ship, you know... He's still in stasis, and how many years has it been? Quite a few that he's just been sitting there, and there's no... I don't want to go as far as there should be barnacles on it and it should be rusty or anything like that, but this ship's been sitting underwater for quite a while, and you mean to tell me that it's just perfectly intact? I know that that's nitpicky, and we're dealing with superheroes and Supernatural and all this other crap, so I know it might be nitpicky, but when you get hit by a nuclear warhead and then you just chill on the bottom of the sea for a little while, you'd think that there'd be some sort of damage because it just basically pops right back out of the water at one point. Yeah, man, and I think, again, you know, overall this first episode, like I said, the one weak point I think in it really was Damien Dark, but I will say this. It was interesting with Einstein bringing him in there and just how they kind of figure out certain things with him. You know, and as you mentioned, Rip Hunter no longer is the captain here. We have a new person involved in, you know, leading everything. I think that's nice, too, because you're not going to have this weekly butting of heads with, yeah. you know, the crew with the Legends and, and Rip Hunter. You're going to have – I think they're going to work better as a team this season, I think, because last season, of course – was basically Rip Hunter saying, I need to save my wife and child. And that's what his whole mission pretty much was in the first season. Yeah, yeah. So now that he rips out of the picture and, you know, you have this new guy in there, 
I think it's going to be a pretty interesting dynamic. I think it's what's going to help bring them closer together, I think. Not only that, but you saw a point in the first episode you brought up Sarah and trying to avenge her sister with Damian Dark and everything and the conflict with Ray Palmer. You see a point in this episode where not just them, but everybody seems to like check their conflicts at the door and their problems with each other at the door. And it's like, you know, hey, we're a team now. Rip's not here. We got to start acting like a team. And then, you know, once they pluck everybody from where they're at in time and stuff like that. Um, but then they get confronted with the JSA. And will that cause more friction within the team? Or is the friction this year going to be between the legends and the JSA themselves? You know that at some point they're probably going to reunite. They're going to unite under the common goal of the Legion of Doom. And we need to stop them. And we need to keep them from screwing up the timeline. However, they're screwing up the timeline. So I, I'm, I'm sure there's still going to be some conflict, but as the team, I think you're right. I think they're going to work better as a team. And I don't want people to get the impression that we didn't like this episode. The show's still fun. I still liked it. I just think that, you know, there's there were legitimately a couple things that needed to be pointed out. Overall, again, what I liked about it, it does have strengths in it. Like, this season, I'm, actually, I'm excited about this season, where they're going to go, and how the team dynamic's going to be. But as always, you know, you're going to have a couple of negative things. You know, I think if we went on here and said, oh, everything was great, they'd be pretty naive. You know, yeah, you, you can't just, I mean, just because you love the fact of what they're going to do and what characters you, you're going to see and might see, stuff like that, you can't just say, oh, it was awesome just because of that. Yeah, I agree. Yep, and that's going to do it for this week in Geektainment. But come up next, Rockstar sure did find a wonderful way to get our rocks off this week. Of course, we're going to talk about Red Dead Redemption 2 and more. Come up next in Nerd News. This is artist Nico Walter, and you were listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, James, it's time we go around the gaming consoles and just the internet in general, because it's time for what, James? Nerd, Nerd News! And we talk about gaming consoles because it's been teased, it's been mentioned, and I swear to God, I think this is the one console that's been under so much secrecy, yeah. outside of, of course, the leaks of specifications of what it's going to look like and everything else, but we finally got a look at Nintendo NX, or as it's called now, Nintendo Switch. Now, remember, first of all, this isn't the first time Nintendo's changed the name of a console. Remember, Nintendo Wii was supposed to be Nintendo Revolution, yep. and then it went to the Wii, which I believe means fun in Japanese. Yeah, I think so. Um, so, I mean, looking at what's going on, man, we talked about this for weeks, and, and whenever we talk about Nintendo, how, listen, they need to focus on the, the handheld stuff. This is where they're kings. You know, they're going towards mobile. Switch, it's a console, but it's a console you can take with you. Yeah, that's the funny thing, because you see the the two which look like, we, you, we were talking about this off the air, people like showing like Wii remotes cut in half, right. and that's what they're showing like the Switch remotes are. But, you know, they slide right onto this tablet, and you just take it with you, and they're going back to cartridges, which are clearly SD cards, or at least they look like them. You can call them cartridges. I mean, you just pop that in, and we saw that with the Zelda game that's on there that they were previewing in their little three-minute video there. And you take it with you, and you can actually add multiple remotes, too, so it's not just a one-player or two-player thing. Everybody can bring their own remote, much like the Wii, and you can connect together and play these games. And there's just a lot to look forward to, man. And yeah, being kings of the handhelds, now they're kind of bringing that into the 21st century, finally, and... They're adding that console in there. Well, when you, when you think about it, and people are saying, well, you know, listening to this saying, well, you know, how's it different from a Game Boy? I think I, when I first saw 
the person take the the controllers out and make it a handheld. The first thing that came to my mind was like a Game Gear. Yeah. Because it just the size of it and everything else, it felt like a Game Gear. It looked yep. kind of like a Game Gear to me. But when I look at this, you know, in the system specifications, you know, you can take it with you on a plane. You can put it on a table. It has a stand, which hopefully won't break off so easily. Yeah, that was uh, a small stand, man. It was a small stand. And that presents a problem because, as I mentioned before, you know, people with physical handicaps, preferably uh, in the upper region like myself, we can't enjoy that. You know, it's one small thing that we can't do. We, you know, other than that, True. you can play because it, it has an actual controller, which is great. Um, you know, and the problem with Nintendo was when they unleashed the Wii U was people didn't know what it was. Is this an extension of the Wii? Is the new handheld? What is it? This is an all-in-one thing, and we talked about this off-air of how how. When Xbox One came out, Microsoft pretty much at E3 said, you know, we want this to be the all your all-in-one entertainment system. Well, Nintendo's pretty much looked at that and said, yeah, we'll be your all-in-one entertainment system, but there will be one you can take with you. And with that, though, there does come some things I want to see before. I understand people are excited about this. Like, I want to buy this now, but there are some important things about this before, you know, I want to sink my money into it. First totally. of all, First of all, it's the price. What? How much is this going to cost? Also, you know, okay, if you're going to run on a network, if this is going to be network-based, who are you teaming up with? Remember, PlayStation teamed up with AT&T, and it didn't work out yeah. because people ripped them apart pretty much. So I think it's, at this point, Verizon or bust right now. Yeah, um, yeah, probably. I, I think. Uh, Verizon what, just upgraded a network, too, so. Right. Yay. Battery life's another thing. You know, this thing is a handheld as well, so how long does it take for it to charge? That's and, the big one. You know, because the thing is, the, 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 you, the thing you put it on when you want to make it a home console, I think it also could be, I mean, it hasn't said it, but I would think it would be like some sort of a charging station as well, kind of a dual thing there. I think it's like an iPod dock kind of yeah. deal. But here's the thing. Let's uh, spin off of that for a second. Look at all the things you have to charge. Not just the actual tablet portion itself, but their controllers as well. Right. So these are things that all need to be charged. There's multiple things. And I'm sure once you connect the controllers to the tablet and put it on the base, it all charges in one thing. I get that. But you're talking about several different batteries that can fail. Right. And also, I mean, you know, you look at that and just some other things. Also, I think, you know, we we did a story a couple weeks ago about how, you know, Nintendo is joining up with Apple it has a headphone jack. <laughs> yep. Yep. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Gotta so have that. It. Um, but there is it, there is an issue with this, though. And the issue is, as we mentioned again off air, it's a handheld, but it's mostly a tablet with controllers attached to it. If you were to drop this, I know I have an Amazon Fire, so do you. If we were to drop ours... You know, there's some issues there, you know, some problems. So I think, you know, what could it be? I don't know. You know, if you drop it, will it break? Will it be have Gorilla Glass on there? Yeah, that's I'm what I'm thinking. Sure. I'm thinking it's going to be something like that. I also think we're going to see cases roll out, but it's going to be hard to get cases because you're going to have to get a case that not just fits around the tablet itself, but also will fit around the actual um, controllers as well. So you have to think about that. Exactly. And I mean, I think that Nintendo is smart enough to think of that of like okay you know maybe there's slots in the outside of the cases so you can put the controllers in oh yeah totally again it's, it's one of those things where it's it's interesting to see but again i want to see what the specs are and people are like oh skyrim looks so good it's like it's a trailer and you know trailers from especially when games 
when you get the game, it's going to look differently. You know, it could be, is it going to be 60 FPS? Is it going to be 30 FPS? And therein lies the problem, too, because think about any... I mean, we saw some of the gaming partners that they say have games coming to this, and Bethesda was on there, Square Enix was on there, right. EA, and so on and so forth. These are games that take, you know, high FPS, like you said, and a lot of... And I know they've got... Nvidia with the uh, with the graphics and stuff like that. That's fine, but how are you going to cool this thing on the go? Right. That's it's just, true. This better not be another Note Seven. You know, you better find out a good cooling system for this thing so it doesn't blow up in your hands and you become a Bataglia right after the fact. Because <laughs> I mean, you right. don't. You need to be able to cool this thing, or are you going to have to downplay? Is it going to be like? When you're watching video on a mobile network as opposed to Wi-Fi, where the quality is going to go down because you're not running on the actual console itself. So they might lower the video quality and that will help for the cooling. But you better make sure this thing can stay cool, especially on the go when it's hot. I mean, if you're in like L.A. or something and it's hot most of the time, you got to factor that in. Right. Well, speaking of things that are hot, you know, something that was hot this week, of course, Rockstar. Hey, they were teasing Red Dead and throughout the week, and sorry, I believe on the week, I believe Saturday they started. They, yep. they changed all the logos on their social media accounts. People were like, okay, that's the red from from you know Red Dead Redemption. Don't play with me, Rock Rockstar. You know, don't don't play with my emotions right now. And then <laughs> you know they do the teaser image of the seven uh, cowboys that yep. appears to be or seven characters, and like okay, you know, then people start to get a little bit more intrigued because it's like okay, wait a minute, this could be you know. An, Red Dead Online, this could be, you know, some Remastered version. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, not really, because they came out and said, here you go, Red Dead Redemption 2, here's a new trailer. Granted, the trailer didn't have a lot in it in terms of story. Had a lot of buffaloes in it. A lot of buffaloes, but (laughs) I think that this was a trailer that was geared more towards what the atmosphere is going to look like. Because, I mean, you know, this is the same company, of course, in Rockstar who did... The Grand Theft, who does the Grand Theft Auto series. So going from buildings back to the Western. And again, unlike in Grand Theft Auto where you have street lamps and you have all this lighting, Red Dead's all nature-based, yep. you know? And and you have to go on the sun and this kind of, you know, actual lighting and, na- and nature lighting and feel and how the, the foliage looks and everything else. And I think that's going to be interesting. And even though we don't know really what this game's going to be. I think it's going to be a prequel because if you played Red Dead Redemption, the, the era that it was put in was more, uh, we were getting ready to head towards the Industrial Revolution or closer to that period where the West was starting to fade out a little bit. It's going to be certain territories. I think it's going to be a prequel. I don't know what it's going to be about, but it's going to be interesting, I think. I think Red Dead Redemption 2 is going to be a working title. I don't think that that's going to end up being the final title of the game. I think it'll be Red Dead Redemption, colon, you know, whatever they're going to do. it. Like you said, if it's going to be a prequel or if it's going to be some sort of a continuation and they find a way to make it work and, and do a sequel somehow. But, I mean, I think I'm excited. I think that this is one of those open world games that, like you said, has that nature aspect, and you, you have to worry about day and night and stuff like that, and it just, it, that's one of the things I loved about Tomb Raider, was that it had that open world feel, and you're, and you're kind of in the elements kind of thing, and I can't wait to see, you know, like, what kind of missions that they have. I know that there's going to be an online multiplayer thing, they're going to add that, and I know that people get excited about that. I don't care about that. That's not what I'm in it for. I mean, I guess that that, you know, adds one more thing, and I guess that is the future of gaming, so I'm not going to knock it. But I, I hope that they focus on, you know, giving good story, good missions, and stuff like that. And I hope that the focus doesn't go a little bit more towards the online stuff. Right. And for people who are saying, well, I hope it's not a prequel, I hope it's not, listen, 
Remember, after Grand Theft Auto 3, we got Vice City. Right. So this isn't the first time Rockstar's done, you know, here's this next thing. Remember, Red Dead started with Red Dead Revolver, then went to Red Dead Redemption. So, you know, if they want to go back in time, sure, that's not a big issue because they've done before and it's worked, you know, and it's worked fine. So, I mean, if they want to do that, perfect. Because, you know, Vice City took place in the 80s. It was more, pretty much, I think it was based around Scarface. Uh, given the final mission, just totally what the house was. looks like, yeah. and everything else at the end. Uh, but I mean, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to this. I mean, Grand Theft Auto Five was amazing. It's still selling like gangbusters. People are still making mods for it. You mentioned the Samsung Seven phone. People were making mods that made the phone blow up like a grenade. Yeah, oops. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, and people think don't don't act like you think this is gonna be the last Red Dead game either. Oh. You know, if it sells well, of course they're going to make another one. They might, they might take them a while, like it did for this one. But they, they, you know, when something succeeds, it doesn't go away. No, it, it doesn't. And you know, the thing is, is I think that when we get a full, as you mentioned, you know, early, like trailers nowadays, like six minutes, seven minutes long. Yeah. So until we get one of those trailers, which I think is coming out because it's coming out in fall of next year. So I think probably E3, we're going to get a full first yeah, story trailer. And in, and, and in E3, by full, you mean like a 20-minute gameplay right. adventure oh, shit. video kind of thing. There's going to be somebody walking on in spurs and a cowboy hat. Hell, it might be John Behrman for all we know. Yeah, hey, yeah, you never know. And the stirrups. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. But, I mean, another trailer that came out as well that people are amped about, we're going, of course, with Logan and... Listen, we talked about how, hey, it's cool if they're doing an Old Man Logan story arc. It seems like they're doing that. Well, really, when you watch the trailer, it's very grounded. Yeah, very. And it's, it's, I'm sad, man. Why? I'm sad. It's just, it just feels sad. I mean, it, I'm sad in a good way. It right. just seems like it's going to be such an emotional roller coaster, which you don't really expect from, you know, superhero genre type movies. Obviously, there's plenty of them that have their emotional moments. But to me, it feels like this is not going to just be action-packed, but it's just going to just tug on your emotions the entire movie. This is going to be a movie, I think, that follows. I mean, we see it in the trailer with Professor X and Logan and X-23. Uh, there's going to be a family dynamic there. Yeah. And it's going to be, a, I think, a close-knit family dynamic. And... You know, I, I think that it's sad because this is the last time Hugh Jackman's, you know, rocking the mutton chops. You yep. know what I'm saying? Like, yep. this is the last time we're going to see those claws come out for a long time. And so, I mean, again, playing on people's emotions with Johnny Cash's version of Hurt, you know, I think that it really, it draws in the end. Like, this is yeah. the end. And, you know, there's, a, there's talk around, I believe Professor X has Alzheimer's or something where, you know, mentally wrong with him a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see he's a lot older now. Of course, this takes place in the year 2024. Uh, we have, of course, the new gang that's that's hunting Logan down as well and hunting down mutants. Uh, kind of similar to what we see in Angels of the Shield with the watchdogs and the Inhumans, you know. And so I think you look at this and you look at the old man Logan storyline. I know people are probably bummed out about it. Uh, but the thing is, you look at the old man story plot. It's fucking insane. Yeah, they could not do a true adaptation of that. No. And and nor should they. And that's why the movie's called Logan and not Old Man Logan, because you don't want to have the expectation of having to follow that storyline. And if you didn't, people would be upset. Well, now you don't have to worry about that. And you can just make the movie that you want to make. Because any of these movies should always take the best of whatever the story is and then make it their own. That's what you should do with adaptations like this, because, you know, you've said before, you don't want a shot for shot. Right. 
So take the best of what you get and make it work. But if you call this old man Logan, especially with it being Hugh Jackman's last one, there's an ex- certain level of expectation there, and I'm glad that they kind of went away from that. Right, and again, you see in the trailer, you know, he's, his healing factor is slow now. It's, I don't think it's fully gone. It's just very, very slow. I mean, you see scars on his body and everything else. Mm-hmm. And even when he's putting on his shirt, you know, his hands trembling still because, like, could it be the weight of the animantium finally getting yep. to his body and, and kind of weighing him down a little bit? And, I mean, you want to talk about somebody who's just broken down. I mean, holy shit. Uh, Logan looks extremely broken down. And again, the thing that they're pulling from Old Man Logan, you know, he's out, you know, in, in Old Man Logan, he was in Sacramento, uh, on what looks to be like a, you know, deserted area, mm-hmm. which it looks to be where he is now. Uh, you have the, the, you know, you hear the narration of Charles Xavier in the trailer saying that Logan, what'd you do? And Logan's talking about how, you know, the mutants are gone. So it's like, hey, in Old Man Logan, you know, there was that part where, you know, Mysterio makes him hallucinate. He ends up killing the X-Men, which he thinks are intruders. And mm-hmm. so could that be? I mean, could I don't think mutants are totally wiped out. I think he's talking more in respect of the X-Men are gone. Right, or he thinks they are and they're really not. But I want to go back to talking about the music choice here for a second, too, with Hurt and Johnny Cash. Now, remember, Johnny Cash passed away shortly after releasing that song. I think it was a year later, less than a year later. Is there a parallel there? Are we going to see right. Logan die, actually die in this movie? That could happen. That could happen, man. And I think, you know, you look at it and you have the Reavers coming in, going after X-23. And, you know, that's what that's up, Mr. Sinister. We'll, you know, we'll see from there and everything mm-hmm. else. And it's going to be very interesting to see how this dynamic plays out. It has a very, again, Mad Max feel to it, dystopian future kind of a thing. But again, this feels very, very, very grounded. Totally, I, I think it's going to be. I, at least I hope I'm not going here saying, "Oh my God, it's the greatest thing ever," because like a lot of people are doing that. But again, we've you know go back and listen to my review of Star Wars and how I reacted to the trailer for Force Awakens, how I reacted to the trailer of Batman Superman. You have to learn how to lower your expectations, or at least keep them checked at the door. I think you temper them. Right. You know, with, with stuff like this. I mean, I think I think that you even had to do that with Deadpool. But Deadpool ended up being great. So hopefully this is a early spring release just, again. Right, March. So, you know, maybe they'll catch lightning in a bottle again, uh, Fox, with an early spring release. And, and Logan will be great. I just want to say this before we move on to our next trailer. Uh, if you've seen the UK version of the trailer, here's a part where... God damn, I'm so glad it's a radar film because you see those claws go through that guy's skull. Yep. And you're like, finally. Yep, there we go. I mean, and, you're going to go out with a bang. Right, and, and one quick thing too is I know people are saying, well, I want to see him in a suit. I want to see him in a suit. We saw him get the suit at the end of The Wolverine, you know, the last movie. Mm-hmm. I would like to see him in the suit, but in a flashback because it would suit it better, not yeah. to use the term as a pun. Well, but, you know. It's like in Luke Cage when you saw him in the comic book yeah. clothing for like 10 seconds. Yeah. You know, if you want to do that with, with Logan, show him in the Wolverine costume for like a scene, you know, or, or at least a couple minutes, fine. Cool. Yeah, do that, that. That way people will be like, okay, we got it. It's done. Boom, move on. But speaking of moving on, another trailer, our final trailer we're going to talk about, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Yeah, and, you know, talk about going from one extreme to the other where you're talking about Logan where it has that really serious vibe to the exact opposite vibe with Guardians of the Galaxy 2. And like you said, 
You know, we don't really get much here, but we get this interaction between Drax and Star-Lord, which is really funny. Right. Yeah, you get to see Baby Groot, which you kind of expected with everything that's been coming out about that. But, I mean, it looks like it's going to be, you know, pretty much what you would expect from the first one, actually. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's action. It's going to be action-packed. It's going to be a lot of laughs. You know, we didn't really see like, the whole villains aspect, and we didn't get to see, you know, Star-Lord's dad or anything in this, mm. in the trailer. I mean, I think that, you know, when you watch this, hey, I'm telling you right now, man, you see Yondu and Rocket, looks like they're teaming up. Remember, there was that thing going back to our Comic-Con talk where, hey, this, you know, people saying that this is what the trailer looked like, and they had to steal... Uh, something and everything else like that, and it appears to be what it is—the bigger red mohawk that yep. you know, is rocking now, you know. And, yep. And and so I mean, hey man, I'll tell you right now, Yandu's one of my favorite characters in Guardians. You know, it's one of those characters that you almost kind of forget about because of how great everybody else is. But then you look, and Yandu is just as good. And I think we're gonna get even more Yondu with Michael Rooker in this movie as well. I think this is finally going to be where we get to get a little bit more Yondu than we got in the first one. Yeah, man. I mean, I think it's going to be really, really fun. I think that, you know, again, they got to do something with the villains. Give give us a good villain, you yeah. know? Like, that's the I think, you know, could, hey, could we see Adam Warlock show up at the end, like a stinger or whatever? We saw his pod in the first one, so yeah. could Adam Warlock be coming? We don't know, but... You know, speaking of, uh, of things that I think bring people together, especially when you come talk about trailers, people talk about trailers and how fun Guardians is. You know, a, bo- a series that was really, really good uh, was Hacktivist. And, well, I just got to say this, man. Shout out to our boys Jackson Lansing and, and Colin Kelly, man, because Hacktivist is coming to television. Yep, and it's going to be coming to the CW. Of course, they they had Alyssa Milano's help there in creating Hacktivist for uh, Arcadia, which is the imprint of Boom. And it's just going to be so great. I mean, they're bringing in uh, Matt Corman and Chris Orr to, to help out with this. Of course, they did Covert Affairs and they did uh, Mistress and stuff like that. And these guys are pretty well respected in the business as well. And I just can't wait to see Nate Graff and Ed Hickox on the screen, man, because this was one of my favorite series. There's two volumes out. If you haven't read Hacktivist yet, you can go check it out from Boom and get caught up. But, I mean, the whole social networking aspect and the bringing in the CIA and using social networking for certain things. And I don't want to spoil anything about the books if you haven't read it. And, of course, if you haven't watched the series yet. But let me just tell you, this is a series that belongs on TV, and there's so much that they're going to be able to do with this. Well, I mean, look at it from this angle, too. This is going to be, I think, Cable's version of Mr. Robot, possibly. Totally. Or, or, or not Cable, but Network's version. Yeah, it's Network's version. Too. Now, it's it's definitely lighter than Mr. Robot, right, I can tell you that. In, in certain senses, though. Right. But in other senses, it's really not. So, And you'll understand that. If, if you've read it, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't read it yet and you want to do that, and you'll, you'll totally understand. So this definitely won't be as heavy as Mr. Robot, but definitely in the same vein. Yeah, man. I, again, just a, a congratulations to our guys, man. I mean, just excellent writers, and and just we're so happy. For oh them. yeah. And you know, whenever I see this show is being added to the CW or this show is coming to CW, I'm like, do they have any more time slots over there? Yeah, it seems exactly. Like everything is filled up over there. It's like, all right, who's getting canceled? Right. Who's getting canceled? Or who do you not have faith in? No, I mean, but that's the problem when you've got so many good shows that are coming out. And, and not to mention the DC stuff that might not even be that might not even be out yet that they might be adding in the future. It's like okay, right. when do you guys have time for anything ever? 
Right. Is this going to be airing like when other shows are on hiatus and it's going to be the filler or what are you yeah, going to do? Yeah, buddy? and I, I know they go to local, like local news and stuff at 10 o'clock for the local network affiliates and stuff. They might need that 10 o'clock time slot <laughs> right. in the future. They might be like, hey, you're going to have to push your news to 11 or something because we need the slot now. Right. But I mean, you know, again, we're so happy for those guys. They've worked their asses off for a long time and we're so glad that this is happening and we I can't wait to watch. I can't wait to see who they cast for. I think it's going to be really 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 fun uh when when it comes to the screen. But that's going to do it for nerd news. But coming up next, we have a double helping of more CW goodness for you. That's right. We have Violet Bean, aka Jesse Quick, who's be coming on talking about The Flash and also, yes, Eobard Thawne, Reverse Flash, aka Mr. Matt Lesher himself. It's going to be on talk about The Flash and Legends of Tomorrow and maybe some other things as well. Stay tuned. More Down Nerdy coming up next. This is David Soboloff, voice of Grodd on The Flash and Drax on Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. And you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, this past week, The Flash got a little bit more quick. That's because somebody made their triumphant return from Earth 2. It was Jesse, and we've got her on the show this week, Violet Bean. Violet, how you doing? I am good. I'm feeling real good after last night's episode. Oh, I bet you are. As a matter of fact, those of us who've been a fan of the Flash comics for years knew the second we found out your character's name was Jesse, that Jesse Quick was probably coming. So when you got the role, how much were you told about what your character's future was going to be? Man, I cannot stress it enough. The amount of things that I have been told and anyone has been told is very little. Um, honestly, I mean, from the beginning, when I auditioned, I auditioned using, you know, mock sides, and it was for a completely different character. I didn't even find out who I was playing until I took the role. Um, so if that tells you anything, basically, I mean, we, we don't know too far in advance. And the writers honestly don't know too far in advance. So we're all kind of figuring it out at the same time. Um, and for Jesse in specific... You know, I didn't really... I knew she would become Jesse Quick at some point. I think the fans and myself, we all thought that it was going to happen last season. Um, I was definitely hoping it would. Uh, and then so when it didn't, you know, I was a little bummed, but I knew that they must be doing it in a certain way. And so I'm really excited and happy with how it came out last night. Violet, we want to talk about how last night's episode just impacted you. And you, know, you mentioned that. And during last... Uh, night's episode you tweeted out a photo of you smiling saying you know all of you on twitter are making my world right now so since the episode aired last night what has your life been like in the past 24 hours or so i mean honestly like on a show like this a comic book show where there already is such a huge fan base and you know you want to do right by them because they're the reason that the show even got made i mean it's absolutely amazing to hear the feedback from them and that's like that was such a genuine thing of me saying that last night about them making my world because everyone on Twitter was going insane about it all. And I was just, I was so happy because, you know, this for them. And then, you know, we're always a little worried, you know, are they going to like it? How is it going to be sprayed? And you have to take, you know, you have to take what they say into consideration. At the same time, though, there are, you know, people who do abuse the internet and are mean. But luckily, you know, for me, I've been fortunate enough to hear a lot of positive things from all of these fans and last night especially i mean everyone was just so excited to finally see jesse quick because it's been such a long time coming oh definitely i want to talk about a scene from the show as a matter of fact where you had a very touching moment with your dad who's played by tom cavanaugh and in your return in your return episode this season so talk about what it was like doing that scene and kind of the ups and downs of their relationship over the last couple seasons yeah, I mean, honestly, working with Tom has been amazing. You know, I, I love those 
those two-person intimate scenes because you really get to like dive in and, and really, you know, you spend more time on them and you just learn a lot about each other and your characters. Um, and I think developing our relationship on screen has been one of the biggest sort of learning points for me and, and one of the best parts of being on the show. You know, it's been really cool. From, from the very beginning, you know, I met Tom five minutes before our first scene and, you know, we had to act like we were father-daughter. And wow. Wow. Yeah, and it's it's pretty insane how that can happen sometimes. You know, you try to build like as as much of a relationship as you can before you start. But you know, they flew me into Canada, and then I walked on set, met the director, met Tom, and five minutes later we were in um, that scene from season two, episode five, where Jesse is confronting him about what the Flash said about him. So it's a very like there's a lot of relationship like development in that scene itself. So it was insane to just be thrown into this. You know what I mean? And but it but it has grown a lot, and and I love Tom, and I'm I'm so happy and honored to be able to work with him. We've also got to see how Wally is jealous by, of course, Jesse has powers, Barry has powers. He's pretty much the only one that doesn't right now. So, how will his quest to unlock his abilities affect he and Jesse's bond going forward? Because I mean, we saw last night he wandered right into traffic yep. trying to unlock his powers, and that didn't work. Yeah. What an idiot. I know, I know. I feel for Wally. I do. Poor Wally. He just wants speed. I want him to get over his, his jealousy a little. His, he has a little bit of jealousy about it. And I want him to get over that because they do have a very interesting relationship. And, you know, I think if that was to be explored in the next episode, you know, he's got to kind of, you know, be a little bit okay with it. You know, he's got to be happy for her in that respect. And, you know, maybe it's just not his time yet or meant to do something else you know what i mean so i think he learned a little bit of that at the end with with joe i think they're talking together sort of sort of helps him realize you know maybe i am meant to do other things right now Oh, absolutely. We're talking to Violet Bean from The Flash, which, of course, you can see every Tuesday night at 8 o'clock on The CW. Now, we know you've got your speed, and so the Spruisters get some great powers, but if you could have any one power of any of the metahumans that have been on The Flash, who would it be and why? Oh, man, that is a tough one. Um, I've always liked King Shark because he looks so cool. But I also don't know if I want to be a giant, like, walking. <laughs> <laughs> Might be a little hard to find a wardrobe for that, yeah. Yeah, he does rock some mean jeans, though. Yes, he does. <laughs> I don't know. What would you guys be? Oh, man. I mean, Mirror Master would be pretty cool. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. it's just... It's difficult because there's been so many different things. I mean, Gorilla Grog could be telekinetic. He can kind of, you know, do that kind of stuff. It's different. I mean... Uh, we actually had David Sobolov, who voices Grodd on the show on a while back, and I talked about, like, I would love to have super speed, but then he's like, you know, you could trip and, like, hurt yourself really bad. Yeah, this is true. Oh, yeah. Oh, real bad. I don't know. Weather Wizard? I think Weather Weather Wizard would be a cool power to have. Yeah, that was a cool one. You know, you'd save a lot of your heating and cooling costs. You know, you'd be good to go. <laughs> But, Violet, you know, The Flash, of course, is a show that has really good elements of humor in it. So what are some funniest, oh, the funniest moments you've encountered while on set? Oh, man. I mean, Tom and, and Grant and Carlos just go on and on. Like, they, they are insane. They're always just, you know, playing music and, and messing with each other. I think one of, one of the funny things was uh, it was Grant's birthday, and um, we were all, like, ready for the scene. It's been a long day, so we were all kind of tired, and... 
And then we couldn't find Tom, and we were like, oh, great, where's Tom? And we call action, and, and he's still not there, and, we're, and everyone's getting, like, a little like a little edgy, a little bit like, what's going to happen? And then Tom, like, comes in with a basketball and just, like, throws it at Grant and, like, starts singing, and everyone was like, oh! <laughs> <laughs> Classic Tom move. But, yeah, everyone, everyone, I mean, we always joke around and, and keep it light for sure. I mean, you get those long days, so you've got to be, you know, pretty pretty easygoing and, and happy to, for it to work. Oh, definitely. And things have been kind of serious for Jessie on the show at times. I mean, it seems like she's had a lot of moments on the show where she's trying to find out how she belongs and where she fits in in either world, the Earth 1 or Earth 2. So now that her powers have been revealed and Jessie Quick is finally here, would you say that that search is over? And what would you say the future holds for her? Yeah, you know, I think it's, I think she's sort of been trying to find her place, like you're saying. And, and I think having the speed really gives her a purpose. Uh, and, you know, I think it's, it's important for them to go home, too, so that they can save Earth 2 from all the villains that they're dealing with. Um, but I do think, you know, she's going to she's gonna find a little place in, in Team Flash that she's always had, but maybe a little bit more because she's got this power and she can really help. And, um, you know, I think you're going to see a little bit of her and Wally, like, getting a little closer and building that relationship. But ultimately, I mean, I think she's really happy to have these powers, and I think, you know, as anyone would be, like, pretty stoked on the fact that she could save people. And, uh, you know, in next week's episode, we get to see Jessie in her suit. Of course, last night we got to see, you know, your your dad give you the suit in, in the episode. So, Violet, describe not only what it was like filming your first scene in that suit, but what does the suit itself mean to you? Honestly, the suit's absolutely amazing. From the moment I put it on, I was like, this is pretty badass. It symbolizes a lot. It's definitely very heroic, and it's crazy because you look up to the heroes as kids, and, and even just on the show, you know, there's so many villains and heroes that come in and out, and I finally get to play one of them. So it's, I mean, it's really, really cool, and I'm, I'm excited for everyone to see it and hopefully, you know, like the suit. And I'm, I, I really like the Barry-Jesse dynamic and them sort of being like a crime-fighting duo, so I'm, I'm excited for this next week. I think it's going to be a really good one. We can't wait to see it all come to fruition and finally get to see you in that suit. And we'll be able to do that Tuesday nights, 8 o'clock on The CW, if you want to watch The Flash. You can actually watch it again and watch the return of Jesse Quick again on the brand new CW app as well. It's Violet Bean. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Woohoo! Thank you guys so much. Have a good one. Well, we were just talking about The Flash, and now it's time to reverse it because we've got Eobard Thawne himself Going to be starring in a big role in Legends of Tomorrow this year. It's Matt Lesher. Matt, how you doing? I'm great, guys. How are you guys? Doing really good. As a matter of fact, with Eobard kind of assuming the identity of Harrison Wells in the first season of The Flash, and we also, again, saw you in the last season as well, what's it been like to finally take over the reverse Flash fully and kind of put your own stamp on the character? It's been really fun. I mean, I think it's, I think he's a pretty complicated character, and, uh, the uh, central relationship in his life is sort of one-sided in the sense that he's uh, pretty fixated on Barry and uh, Barry not so much on him, maybe. In that sense, it's been really great to play it because I'm working mostly with Grant, who is a pretty exceptional uh, young actor. And uh, uh, I think they're writing our storyline pretty well. And then on Legends, you know, it's unusual that you get to play a character, the same character on uh, multiple shows, you know, uh, with the same backstory, the same everything. I mean, what has happened to him on The Flash carries over to his storyline on Legends. So it's it's pretty fun. 
Matt, you've been a part of The Flash, and now you're a part of Legends of Tomorrow. So even though you're on the same network, what has the transition from one show to the other been like for you, and what makes both sets unique? The transition's pretty smooth because they're all produced by Greg Berlanti, uh, and I've worked in the past with Greg Berlanti and Mark Guggenheim and Andrew Kreisberg and Tom Cavanaugh and Victor Garber on a show called Eli Stone many years ago. So there's a lot of familiarity there for me. The shows themselves, I mean, I think of them as being really different shows. Flash, for me, for you know, even though it's a superhero show, you're still, it's a show, it's a pretty intimate show, you know? It's a show about family, really. Mm -hmm. It's about... It's about, you know, the human relationships that make all this uh, craziness worthwhile. Whereas Legends is a much broader, kind of rowdier, more uh, adventuresome show in a lot of ways, um, especially the way they've reimagined it this year. It's, uh, it's kind of all over the place in a really fun way. And, and the humor on that show, too, is, tends to be broader. It tends to be a little jokier. So... That, that's the major difference between the two shows. Otherwise, I feel like it's been pretty seamless. They work pretty well together. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, on the season two premiere of Legends of Tomorrow, we get to see the beginnings of what's going to become the Legion of Doom with you and Damien Dark and a couple of others as well, of course. Now, there's a lot of strong and evil minds in that group, Matt. So what do you think that group dynamic's going to be like? I think it's going to be uh, thorny, you know? I, I Anytime a group of villains is getting together, they, they never really end up trusting each other. Uh, you know, the, the teamwork is never really what it should be. Uh, that being said, they each have their own special talents, and they each have the same goal in mind eventually. Uh, we come around to that. I was joking with somebody that um, is actually Neil McDonough. We were talking on set the other day saying they really need to, they really need to spin off the Legion of Doom, but make it more like, uh, like a half-hour situational comedy, you know? <laughs> kind, of like, kind, of like Golden, kind of like Golden Girls, but with, like, villains? That's great! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for villains. being yeah. a fiend. <laughs> yeah. I would definitely, I would definitely be uh, the B. Arthur character. <laughs> would do that. Um, and, uh, yeah, each, each, you know... It, it's not so much about their super villainy as it is about the day-to-day -day living together and how they manage their relationships. And, Matt, you know, you talked about working with Grant Gustin. Of course, Legends really marks the first time we'll see Eobard go up against non-speedsters. So which possible matchup are you most looking forward to, and which one should we be the most excited about? That's a great question. I mean, for me, Firestorm is, is kind of the most interesting hero or on legends because of the obviously the duality of the character friends and uh victor you know combining to make him it's 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 really interesting um so i'm looking forward to that also because i have a, a history with victor you know he's uh, somebody that's uh near and dear to me so um working with him is always is always awesome you know being the speedster it's it's there's also you know there's going to be some there's going to be some JSA interaction and you're talking about a set of heroes from the mid 20th century, meeting somebody from the 25th century, mm -hmm. um, the past meeting the future. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it, there's, there's some really cool stuff that happens with that on tonight's episode in particular. So uh, uh, that was fun. That was really fun. 
We're talking to Matt Lesher. Of course, you've seen him on The Flash. You'll see him in a big way on DC's Legends of Tomorrow, which is Thursday nights, 8 o'clock on The CW. Now, Matt, we've kind of talked about the different scenarios that we might see. And, of course, you know, in the comic books, just like the show, you could have that happen. So I kind of wonder that if Eobard could pick one of the Legends or even one of the JSA to bring over to the Legion of Doom side, who would he choose? Uh, White Canary, for sure. There's got to be a little uh, estrogen mixed into this whole Legion of Doom thing for uh, for it to be worthwhile, I think, for everybody. Also, just need somebody who's got, got a different skill set, you know what I mean, than, uh, oh, yeah. than the other guys. So uh, that, that's my first impulse, is to say that. Um, also, with some leadership skills, um, as we see as the season progresses. So, um, like I said, Legion of Doom needs somebody, needs somebody to help, uh, help uh, right the ship every now and then. That would be my choice. And, Matt, you know, we found out recently that Eobard has a love for fast food, especially curly fries. So if Eobard yeah. owned a fast food restaurant, what would it be called? <laughs> <laughs> if he owned a fast food restaurant, what would it be called? God, I, I guess, I suppose it would be uh, – I, I mean, I mean it's, it's either it would have to do with his nature. You know, my, my – first inclination is to say you know future burger or something like that but that seems a little too simple you know um right uh, maybe something that has uh, that embraces his nihilism a little bit more you know um, <laughs> um uh reverse <laughs> reverse burrito i don't know we put the toppings on the outside so you'll be dirty all the time. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I mean, you could say Eobards, but it sounds more like a family home-style restaurant. Like, come yeah. down to Eobards, have a baked potato. Come on down to Eobards, yeah. The, the, the meal you never returned from. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of possibilities there. I hadn't given, a, given it a lot of thought before, but... Um, <laughs> But mom's, yeah, it's it's mom, a good idea. Mom's the last name Alan. Eat for free. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, it's the reverse. So you eat dessert first. I mean, that's that's got to be a thing, right? Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah, sure. And, um, <laughs> yeah, maybe you make the meal. You know, you actually have to make the meal and serve it to Eobard. That's so the thing. He's just sitting there waiting to be fed. So first you're saying reverse flash versus the rolls at his restaurant. <laughs> Exactly, yeah. Thank you for your order. Thank you for your order. Now get back there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. I'll pay you in name tags. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, Matt, we've talked about the humor on Legends of Tomorrow. You spoke about that. We've heard plenty of stories of John Barrowman pulling pranks and stunts on Arrow sets in the past and some of the other cast members as well. So now that he's part of Legion of Doom on Legends of Tomorrow with you guys... Have you experienced anything like that from him or anyone else on set so far? Not yet. Uh, we've actually just started. He's you know, the Legion of Doom is just starting to come together at this point. So uh, we've only worked together a couple of times. Um, he is a merry, merry soul. I will say that. He has, <laughs> oh yes, he is. He has, oh, yeah. he, he has no compunction about uh, finding the humor in any situation. So. Uh, you know, so far so good. I have not run afoul of the great John Barrowman's mischievous well, qu- humor yet. Well, quick uh, Barrowman story. We were actually in D.C. in June for Awesome Con. Barrowman was there. We went to see his panel, and he, his entrance, he came out in a Darth Vader helmet in a dress wielding a lightsaber. 
Oh God, that sounds brilliant. Yeah, that that sounds completely in character. And, uh, it, like I said, I haven't I haven't been privy to that aspect of him quite yet, but I'm sure it's coming. You won't be able to unsee it, Matt. I can tell you that right now. You won't be able to unsee it. And uh, so, Matt, you know, going back to the show, as the second season progresses, what's something you hope viewers take away from it, and what's something you hope to take away from it as well? Oh gosh, um, I mean, I just hope, I just hope Legends this season, um, and uh, I mean, I, I keep going back to to the humor of it, but in a larger sense, I hope that um, it, that it's fun for people, you know, that, that really, I th- I feel like what's present in the second season, maybe a touch more than was in the first is a sense of adventure and fun and kind of, uh, uh, a looseness to it that, that reminds you of like the great action adventure type of stories, you know? So I, I, I'd like for that to continue to be present. And then, of course, the other natural thing I would like to have happen is the Golden Girls spinoff with uh, Legion of Doom. <laughs> <laughs> if that actually comes to fruition in any meaningful way, I I am so on board. Are you listening, so CW? Board. Are you listening, Warner Brothers in DC? Come on. Right. Got to make this there. happen. Matter of fact, make no sure you pull the trigger. That's right. Matter of fact, make sure you're watching Legends of Tomorrow every Thursday night at 8 o'clock on the CW. You can always watch it again and again and again on demand as well on the new CW app and maybe coming to the CW seed soon, the Legion of Doom Golden Girls spinoff. Matt Lesher, thank you so much for joining us this week. My pleasure, guys. Have a good one. So, James, I was thinking of, okay, if they were to do the Golden Girls Legion of Doom spinoff, who would they be? So, of course, Eobard, as Matt said, you know, he'd be the, the Dorothy character. Totally. I mean, fits the personality. Uh, I think Captain Cole possibly would be uh, Betty White's character. I would think. Yeah, I mean, that seems to make sense. I mean, give, given the... I mean, he's got the, a little bit of humor, but he's smarter than the Betty White character. Though. That's, that's true. That's the other thing. Well, I mean, these are it's tough because you're all villains who are really, really smart. So it's not like you know you're throwing in somebody who's not smart in there. You know, right? Uh, that, that's that's exactly true. I th- I think that um, Dark is definitely going to be Dorothy's mother. Oh yeah, there's no Just, question about that. And no then, uh, question about that. There, there's no way of not saying it. You know, there's no way of not saying this, but Blanche is definitely Barrowman. And, you know, you're you're right, but, you know, Behrman's going to be upset either way. He's going to be like, I want to be Rose, or I want to be Blanche. He just wants to be them all anyway, so. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. No also, winning there. But also, you know, we can't forget, you know, we did talk to Violet Bean as well. And it's just really cool to see, kind of, if you think about it, even though they're both speedsters, it's they're both getting evolutions. Talk, of course, about Reverse Flash, mm-hmm. Eobarthon, and Jesse Quick is getting, you know, a growth in character as well. And these are kind of new ventures for them, pretty much. Right, and both joining kind of new teams. I mean, I know we saw Jesse help, help out on the Flash previously, but now she's, you know, in the thick of it. She's part of Team Flash in the field, so we'll have to see how that goes and, and how that builds, actually, because they're talking about, you know, bringing Cisco into the field. And, you know, if Wally gets his powers at some point, then you'll have a true... Team Flash, and then you look at Legends of Tomorrow, where you got team versus team versus team. It's like the biggest triple threat match ever, even though you figure the Legends and the JSA will eventually get along. You look at the Legion of Doom, and that's like a dream team, man. It's a dream team, but also, remember, you have all those villains in there, and there's egos involved, so will they try to undercut one another? Will there be some struggle? I think there will be, but I think it's going to be interesting uh, going forward, both of these shows, but that's going to do it. 
for this week's edition of the Down Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to Violet Bean. Thank you so much to Matt Lesher from, of course, The Flash and now Legends of Tomorrow for coming on and talking to us. But, hey, if you want more of us, be sure to hit us up on social media, facebook.com slash downandnerdy. I'm also on Twitter at downandnerdy757 and at Merck with one arm. Same thing for Instagram as well, at Merck with one arm there too. So, James, where can people find you on social media? I'm at James A. Switham on Twitter. That's W-I-T-H-A-M. If you want all this information, you're thinking, I can't write that fast. I, I, I'm going to have to rewind this. I don't know what I'm going to do. You know what you could do? Go to downandnerdypodcast.com. There's an About Us section if you want to find us on social media. There's links to all of our so- socials on there as well. You want to buy the, the Season 3 of The Flash? You can do that on our website, as a matter of fact, on Amazon Instant. And a whole bunch more. Find out all the comic book reviews, everything that's going on in this show as well, at Down and Nerdy Podcast. And as always, practice safe comic book reading, always back and board your comics, and thank you for being a fiend.